Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. I have the privilege of preaching God's word this morning, not only today, but also next week, as I'll be doing a a small two-part series on missions. I've entitled this sermon series, Missions Means Movement. Three M's. Missions means movement. Try to say that fast three times. (laughs) It's a tongue-tie. Tongue twister, I should say. So missions means movement. And so I'm excited about what God is going to show us this morning and then next week as we focus on missions. And next week will be our Mission Sunday, as Pastor Scott had mentioned. So looking forward to that, give you guys updates and what God is doing in our church and around the world through us. So let's go ahead and pray together and then we'll get into God's word. Lord, we just sang these wonderful songs and we're so thankful that we have a Savior a mediator, that you don't look at us as our sin deserves, that you, through your sacrifice, through your atoning work, you have cleansed us and made us righteous before you, a holy God. And so we stand this morning under your grace. We stand in that gift that you have given us, and we rejoice. As we look at missions, as we look at what it means to be called as to take a step of faith as you have called us to do, each and every one of us. I pray that you would encourage us, you would convict us, and strengthen us according to your word. And Holy Spirit, you would carry us along. Take us by the hand, we pray. Open our eyes and open our minds and open our hearts that we may receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as a young Christian in my teens, I got saved when I was 17. I've shared my story here before. I knew that faith had to do with movement. That is to say that faith is not a passive thing. It means you have to step out. I grew up um, in the D.C. area, and after I got saved, I went to McLean Bible Church in McLean, Virginia, just a few miles west of Washington. Great church, great Bible-believing church. And I remember in the youth group hearing the story that many of us are familiar with in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, where Jesus walked on the water. You remember the story, the disciples were in the boat, the wind was starting to beat against the boat, and there was a storm, and we've been to the, the, the Sea of Galilee, and it's a, it's a beautiful place, but it's surrounded by hills, and those winds can come down those hills and cause a storm to happen like that. And it was the fourth watch of the night, meaning between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., and the disciples there in the dark were scared. They thought they would drown. And there they see this looming figure walking toward them on the water. Of course, they were afraid. You imagine their imaginations are going wild because of all the ghost stories they grew up with. It's a ghost, they thought. And Jesus, calming their fears, said, it is me. Do not be afraid. And Peter, I love Peter. I just love Peter. I can identify with Peter in many ways. Peter said, Lord, if it's really you... Command me to come. And Jesus said, come. And so Peter started walking on the water. But you know what happened? He saw the wind and he saw, or he felt the wind. He saw the waves and the storm around him. And he began to sink down. And Jesus reached out and pulled him up and said, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, we tend to hear that phrase and say, yep, that's it. That's, that's, that's us. And yes, that is the truth. But the fact is, I'll never forget this when I was in youth group after I became a believer, hearing this. But the fact is, Peter stepped out of the boat. The other 11 were there, wrapped in their fears and uncertainties and their 
whatever they were struggling with, and Peter stepped out. And I remember being challenged that faith means we have to step out of the boat. So fast forward, I'm 600 and some miles away from home at a small Christian college, and that Christian college was a great time in my life to grow, help me grow in my faith in Christ. And we had chapel three days a week, and it was the fall, late fall of my freshman year, and we had a speaker come from New York City who worked with a ministry called Reaching Urban Neighborhoods in Brooklyn. And as he spoke passionately about what God is doing in New York City, I could feel my heart being pulled by the Spirit of God. For one, my family origin comes from New York. My dad was born in the Bronx and then moved out to Long Island when he was in grade school. And my grandparents are from New Jersey, from the Newark area, and my grandfather worked his whole career in Manhattan. And so I grew up going to New York many times when I was a kid into my teens and so forth. And now I'm at this Christian college. I'm a new believer, and I'm hearing about what God is doing in New York City, in the roughest boroughs and areas of New York City. And then he gave the challenge. He said, we're going to do a mission trip for spring break. Would some of you be willing, students, to sign up and go to New York and work with reaching urban neighborhoods for one week? And I knew. I was like, Peter, yes, I'm getting out of the boat. And so I signed up, and there was 12 of us that went with one of our professors on spring break to New York, and it was my first mission experience, and God really used it in my life. As I've grown in my faith in Christ all these years, and I've been privileged, my wife and I both have been privileged to be all around the world doing mission work. We've been to Asia, to the Middle East, to Russia, lived in the inner city doing church planting. We're inner city missionaries, worked with refugees both in Chicago and Detroit. I am more convinced than ever that faith requires movement. Because here's our problem. I have the problem and you have the problem. The problem is we get stuck in what I call the bubble, right? All of us get stuck in the bubble. That bubble is a place of comfort. It's nice and cozy. It, it makes us feel secure and stable. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that in small doses. But the problem, especially here in America, in the West, is we, are, we have been fed comfort, comfort, comfort for days and days and days and months and months and months and years and years and years. And we can get bubble cozy and stuck. And so, for example, some of us get caught up in our personal bubbles and we'll say things, you know, I really can't do this because that's not my personality. I can't step out of the boat. I'm a boat kind of person. I want to stay in the boat. That's me. And we get stuck in our personality bubbles. Or perhaps we get stuck in our emotional bubbles. Well, you know what? I got out of the boat before I took a risk and it was very painful. I was rejected. Things didn't go the way I thought. And so we build walls and we wrap ourselves around an emotional bubble and we say, I I'm not going to take a step out anymore. It's too hard. Or we get even caught up in religious bubbles. Many of you grew up in the church. We can get stuck in this religious institution. Folks, we need to be here. God's people need to work together and meet the Lord's day, this day is so important, but sometimes we get caught in the church bubble and there's a world out there of broken people who are dying and hurt and desperately in need of good news. 
And we get caught here in our programs, in our classes, in our institution. And we forget that Jesus said, go. He said, go. He didn't say, like Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. He said, go. And so for this sermon, I'm not trying to convince you to go on a mission trip, to become a missionary, to live in the inner city. I'm not saying that. If God puts that in your heart, awesome. And he might. The whole point of this sermon and then next week is that you are willing to allow God to pop your bubble. You are willing to allow God to say, you know what? You're a little bit too snug here. I want you to get out of the boat, whatever that may mean for you. And I hope as we get through this sermon, as we take Lord's Supper, as you search your heart, God will reveal to you what that does in fact mean. Because all of us like the bubble. All of us like the boat. And what God does is he stirs things up like the storm on the sea. And he says, I want you to step out. So my thesis for this sermon, my main idea for today and next week is God wants to pop our bubbles to deepen our trust in him and help us to grow into the person he wants us to be. We are all called to be part of God's mission. The missio dei, which is the mission of God. It does not mean you have to be a missionary or go on a mission trip. That's possible, but it means you need to be willing to say, Lord, I'm yours. Pop the bubble. I'm ready to take the step wherever you would lead. So to accomplish this task, we're going to look at the story of Abraham, the great-grandfather of Joseph, our current series that Pastor Tim is doing. So it fits nicely. Like all of us, Abraham was a normal guy trying to raise his family. He had a wife. Well, he didn't have kids at that time, but he had a wife. He had extended family, but he lived in a very difficult environment, just like you and me. An environment filled with pagan idolatry, an environment of uncertainty and darkness and fear. And in the midst of this, God popped his bubble. He spoke and told Abraham to leave everything he knew and go to a place that he would show him. So for this sermon, I have two main points. Number one is invitation. God invites us to be part of his mission. The invitation has been sent out. He invites us to be part of his mission. Number two is receptivity. Our job is to be open to him and respond accordingly. That's what we'll look at next week. How did Abraham respond? And therefore, how should we respond? So let's look at the first point, number one, invitation. God invites us to be a part of his mission. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> We're going to look at a couple verses this morning. You can also look on your screen. This will be our text for the next two Sundays. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what I want to do is walk you through this verse step by step as we move along 
in the text. So the first thing we see is that now the Lord said to Abram. Abraham grew up in Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq, in a city called Ur. Ur means flame in the original language, and it was a very lively city, denoting its name. It was the capital city of that area as far as economics. Moreover, it had a very strong religious pull or religious feel to it. They had what was called a ziggurat, which is a large temple-like structure that was denoted or, or given to the praise of a god. And that particular god in which the, town, the city of Ur praised and, and worshipped was the god of the moon called Nana. The moon god, they believed, would shine its light down on earth and provide favor and blessing for their crops, for their families. And so they would go to this temple and they would worship this so-called moon god. That was popular or common, I should say, in the Semitic world of Abraham's time. There was different cities that were representing different gods, such as the moon god, the sun god, the planets, and so forth. And so it was a very idolatrous, wicked, dark city. And that's where Abraham was. And so God appears to him amidst that. And isn't that interesting as an application? God comes to us on ordinary days, in ordinary circumstances, with something extraordinary. Like me sitting in chapel and hearing about the need in New York City, in Brooklyn, with this ministry reaching urban neighborhoods and feeling like, yes, this is what I need to do. Or I'll tell this, I'll tell, I'll tell this story more next week in full, but when my wife and I, when we knew after I was graduating seminary that the Lord was calling us to the inner city and we sold our house literally with the white picket fence. It was a beautiful home in a nice community in South Lyon, Michigan. And people thought we were crazy to sell our American dream life and move into the inner city a neighborhood riddled with gangs, prostitution, and drugs. And so God's call came to Abram. Note that it says, it, the Lord said, now the word the Lord, L-O-R-D, obviously spelled that way, with all capitalization, is the name Jehovah, or in Hebrew, Yehovah, right? And Yehovah means the existing one. It's the proper name of the one true God. It is so sacred. To this day, the Jewish people, when they read their Hebrew Bibles, do not even say the name Yehovah. They say Adonai, which is also a term for Lord or Master. And so Yehovah, the existing one, the true God amidst all these polytheistic stuff going on, that polytheism means multiple gods, spoke to Abraham. The word said is the word Yomer in Hebrew, and it's the same word that God used in Genesis chapter 1 over and over again when he spoke. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. You see, when God speaks, things happen. It becomes reality. Things are moving. When he spoke into the unformed chaos, it began to move and happen and form. He said, let there be light and there was light. Let there be an expanse between the waters and the land and so forth. How did God speak to Abram? We don't know. But he revealed himself. He came to him. Spencer mentioned this in the Scripture that we read this morning. 
the invitation, the initiation was God, not Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go. Now this is an interesting word, just that little word. In Hebrew, it's leklaka, and it simply is this, leave or move or start walking. (laughs) It has the idea of movement. Again, back to our theme, faith requires movement. Now in Israel, I was thinking about this week as I prepared this, I remembered when we were there last spring at the Baptist Village, and we'll watch a video next week that I think you'll enjoy on the Baptist Village that Kenny Spain will, will, uh, will be featuring in, or featured in. And when we were in Baptist Village, we learned about what God is doing there and the different ministries that Baptist Village hosts. And one of those ministries is Leklaka, coming right out of this text in Genesis chapter 1. When I saw that, I'm like, that sounds familiar. I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any means, but I, I knew a little bit about that. And the, shirt, the T-shirts that the, the people that worked in this ministry wore said Leklaka in Hebrew, and it had little footprints on the T-shirt. And so I inquired about it and learned that this is a ministry to help soldiers when they leave the military in Israel to adjust back to normal life as followers of Jesus, to acclimate back. Because in Israel, if you are a male or a female, you are required to serve in the military for two years at age 18. And as you know what's going on there now and what has gone on there for years and years, it's a very difficult environment. Many of these kids, these soldiers, have faced tremendous amount of pain, post-traumatic stress, being in war, family members that have been shot, fellow soldiers that have been killed by Hamas and other groups. And so it's a very difficult, difficult thing. And this ministry, Leklaka, helps them to move, literally take steps in their healing journey with Jesus. And so let me plumb this word a little further. As I did a study on this word, and I think you'll find it relevant to us. When God said to Abram, Leklaka, go, it means a couple things. First, in the Semitic sense of the word, Semitic means simply the cultures that were around Abraham. That was the ancient worlds, the Canaanites, later on the Philistines, the Egyptians, and so forth, was all part of what the Semitic root system, if you will, of language. And it meant to act or to live or to move with the idea that someone or something was accompanying you. So in the pagan ancient world, they believed that leklaka or or yalek, the Hebrew root word of that, meant that the gods were calling you or summoning you and they would go along with you. Now what God does, the true God, is he speaks to Abram and he says leklaka, he says go, he says Go, leave, step out, but I will be with you. And the sense of that idea is that I'm going to accompany me. Now, later on, hundreds of years later, when Moses comes on the scene, God does, in fact, lead them by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. So it's very clear that this meant you were to go as a means of following or accompaniment. Further... It ties into the ancient nomadic people groups in which Abraham was a part of in the ancient world. And the nomadic idea or the idea of sojourner means you are always on the move. 
So if you go over to Israel today, if you go over to that part of the world, you'll see Bedouins. Bedouins are the modern-day nomads. They move in groups, they travel with their flocks and their herds, and they move to the next green pasture, if you will, for their animals, or to get away from war, whatever it may be. And so Abraham would have been a part of that society that was very much on the move. And so as one scholar said, this experience may lead to an understanding of human life as a way of pilgrimage. And I thought about that as an application. As followers of Jesus, we too are very nomadic. We're sojourners. This is not our final home, at least earth as it is right now. One day the earth will be made new, Second Peter says, Revelation says, but not this right now what we have. And so we are displaced. One of the things I learned when I was working with refugees, I worked with refugees from all over the world for 12 years, and I would hear this constant story of that they were so glad to be in America where they could acclimate and get a job and learn English and provide for their families, but they ached for their homeland. I remember talking to a gentleman, for example, that was from a small country in Africa called Burundi, B-R-U-N-D-I, a little small country that was taken over by civil war, and he was in a refugee camp for 36 years. 36 years in a refugee camp. And when he came to America, he didn't speak any English. He was about 60 years old. He got a job at Chicago O'Hare Airport washing dishes at a restaurant. And he was the happiest person. He lit up, I have a job. In a very broken English, I can provide for my family now. But he told me he never forgot his true country. Even though he was a boy when, he was, when, when war struck and he had to leave and go into a refugee camp. But he ached and longed for his country to become stable again. And I thought, you know what? That's just like us. This world is ravaged by sin. And we ache and long for our true country, our heavenly country. But sometimes we get so caught up here, folks. We get caught in the bubble. We get stuck in the boat. And we're like, you know what? This is really warm and cozy here. And we forget the ache is inside of us. Or we push it away with so-called pleasures, lesser pleasures. C.S. Lewis says, if we aim for earth, we'll get nothing. But if we aim for heaven, we'll get earth thrown in. And that's a good word. And this is Abraham and his experience. He was in this place. And God broke through the scene and said, go. Start moving. Start following. Leave. It reminds me of, uh, of the opening scene in the movie The Hobbit. Some of you like The Lord of the Rings. I'm a big J.R.L. Tolkien fan. I, I love that book, The Hobbit especially. And if you've seen the movie, and if you haven't, maybe you can go watch it if you want, or I'm going to spoil the intro for you. But in the opening scene, you have the protagonist, Bilbo Baggins. And he is in a comfortable place. It's called the Shire. Everything was lush and green and quiet. It was quintessential. It's just like the English countryside, away from the smog and the noise of the city. And he was there puffing on his long stem pipe, which hobbits tended to do, going to check his mailbox. And here comes Gandalf the Great, this wizard who came into the scene. And Bilbo says, can I help you? And he says, well, that remains to be seen. I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure. And he says, an adventure? Oh, 
No, I don't imagine anyone in these parts have much interest in adventures. They're nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things. And he gets up to check his mailbox and says, and it'll make you late for dinner. And he turns around to go inside. But Gandalf wouldn't take no for an answer. Well, that's decided then, he said. It will be very good for you. I shall inform the others. Wait, what? What do you mean? What? No, come back. <laughs> and I love that line. It will be very good for you. Do you understand that? When God calls us to something, a task that he calls us, that stretches us, that gets us out of the boat and out of our bubbles, it is very good for you. It is very good for you. Why? Because like a hobbit, we get stuck. Adventures? No thanks. Taking a step out of the boat? Nope. Take a risk? Nope. I'm good. Go on a mission trip? I'm good. Be involved in my community? Serve at some capacity? Be a part of an evangelism thing? Nope. I'm good. They're nasty, disturbing things. They makes you, makes you late for dinner. <laughs> Folks, what God did in Abraham's life and what he does in our life or wants to do is pop that bubble of comfort and say, nope, you're a little bit too snug. It's time to move. And that's what he said. Go, leklaka, go. Take steps from your country and your kindred and your father's house. So three things he tells him to do. Number one is leave your country. Again, Abram's in Meso uh, uh, the Mesopotamian area and the city of Ur. As one writer said this of that particular city, it was the crown of civilization. It was a city of markets and wide streets and of crying gulls, that is seagulls, of ships afar and chariots and slaves and drinking in taverns and long fields of grain and massive skilled armies. It was formidable and it had stood a long, long time. And God spoke to Abram and said, leave. Second, he said to leave or move away from his relatives, literally his kin. Again, the, they were nomadic people, and so they had larger extended families. They were all together, and they would work together, and they would live in that community together as families. And God spoke to Abram and said to leave that. And finally, he says, your father's household. That is the household of your father. Now, here's an interesting thing. I want to turn to Genesis chapter 11 for a second, if you would look at that in your Bibles. Or you can see on your screen. Terah is Abraham's father. It says in Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, Terah took Abraham his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, it's interesting. And I did, a, upon further study, as I looked more into it, it appears that Obviously, this comes in chapter 11 before Abraham's call in chapter 12. However, as scholars said, including some commentators that I read, including one, John Gill, was helpful here when he says that what moved Terah to depart from Ur of the Chaldees seems to be the call of God to Abram, which though after related in chapter 12 was previous to this. And he was acquainting his father Terah with it and Terah listened to it 
and was now convinced of his idolatry and converted from it and readily obeyed the divine will. So in other words, kind of as a writing device, the narrator here, or the writer, which is Moses, the human writer at least, which he wrote the first five books of our Bible, the Pentateuch, is telling the story and the focus point, the focal point is the call of Abraham in chapter 12. But in verse 11, it says that Terah said, let's go to this land. And they went forth. Now, you have to understand the ancient culture, specifically the patriarch. The patriarch of the family was the father. And so as the father said, things went, meaning the father's rule, the father's plan goes. And so what happened most likely, and other scholars would agree with this, is that after the call of Abram came by God, Abram then went to the patriarch of the family, again, a large extended tribe, a big family, and said, Dad, this is what God, Jehovah, the God of all gods, meaning over, all the, all, over everything, the true God, this is what he said to me. Evidently, Terah agreed. But look what it says in verse 31. They went forth together as a whole group here, including Lot from Ur of the Chaldeans, to go into the land of Canaan. But, note that little change of tone there, that little preposition, but. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So the question I ask is, well, why? Why did they settle there? Now, nobody really knows. The scholars don't know. But based on some of the clues that we can see or understanding of the text, we can kind of dig a little bit deeper. First off, the name Terah, Abraham's father, his name means delay. Hebrew names are very significant. It often denotes a person's destiny or character. Like David, my name means beloved of God. David was a man after God's own heart. I don't know if my parents knew and understood that. I don't think they understood biblical concepts at all when they named me that, but God knew. And so that Lord chose that for me. And so the name Terah meant delay, as in to linger. And so here's the idea. Most likely what happened, they start to move as God said they should. As God spoke to Abram, they start to move. And when they get to a place called Haran, which is right along the Euphrates River, Okay, and by the way, I have friends, especially when I was in Chicago, that are from Iraq, modern-day Iraq, from the south. And it's a beautiful area. And they have dug up ruins and excavated ruins of these large temples, including these ziggurats, these giant temples that were erected and structured for the gods. And they've dug them up, including the one that Nebuchadnezzar would have been around in Babylon. And so they would have moved toward that way, so away from Ur, but further east into Haran, and what most likely happened was Terah said, okay, you know what? I'm in charge. I'm the patriarch. We're going to settle here. This is safer. Canaan was, we'll talk about this next week, Canaan was a savage place. Just because God calls you or God calls us doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That's a little foreshadowing of what's to come next week. <laughs> doesn't mean it's easy. Jesus said in this world, in this life, you'll have much trouble but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so we see that they lingered for a while. And then it says the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Now let's look at verse four. So Abram went 
as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go, there's that verb, yelik in Hebrew, to move, to go to the land of Canaan. So what happened, most likely, scholars believe, is that Abram got the call, told his father about it. They started to move as a nomadic tribe. They went together. They moved. They left Ur. They settled in Haran. That wasn't God's plan, but that's where they settled. And then when Terah died, God revealed himself possibly a second time or made clear again to Abram, hey, listen, I called you to go. And that place to go specifically was the land of Canaan. So Abraham went, verse 4, as the Lord had told him. Now, Stephen picks up on this in Acts chapter 7, which was read this morning in our second reading. When he was giving his sermon, his speech before he was stoned to death, he says, brothers, Acts chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, brothers and fathers, hear me. Shema is the Hebrew idea there. Respond to what I'm saying. Act on what I'm saying. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. See that? Before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. So he puts this together. Remember, faith means movement. When God calls, God calls. When Jesus was walking along the shore or the Sea of Galilee, along the beach there, and we've been, we've been to that place. I've been actually a couple times now. It's a beautiful area in the northern part of Israel. And he walked along that beach area at the Sea of Galilee. And there the fishermen were doing their tasks. They were cleaning their nets taking the algae off, whatever they were doing. And Jesus sees them, Peter, James, John. And he simply says, come and follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Did they understand what that meant? Mm, probably not. But the gravitational pull of Jesus's authority, being the son of God, something stirred in their hearts. And they're like, yeah, we've got to go. They left their nets. And they left their dad, and they followed Jesus. Do you, have, you understand how countercultural that is, especially in that part of the world? You stay together as a family. You don't leave. I remember living in Dearborn. We had friends that had lived with their parents. Like, they were grown. They had their own kids, but they lived with their parents and their grandparents and their uncle. They were all together in a three-, four-bedroom house in East Dearborn. That's what you do culturally. And Jesus says, come and follow me. And they dropped their nets and they left everything. You see, faith requires movement. It's an invitation. So what was the invitation? Well, God tells him, once he says the initial command to leave, he says, verse 2, and I, note the subject here, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. 
so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Remember that old song we used to sing as kids? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, right? This is what it's talking about. Because Abraham had the faith in Jehovah, in Jehovah to say, okay, and he did it. Even when they lingered and they delayed in the land of Haran, he then, after his father died, got up and said, let's go. God has called us. God has called me. And so here we see, who is the subject? The Lord. I will. I will. I will. And that's the good news, folks. When God calls you, he will go with you. He will strengthen you. He will uphold you. He tells Abraham later on, I am your shield and your great reward. Because Abraham had a lot of trouble to face going down to Egypt because of a famine. A lot of things happened in his sojourn. And God told him, I am your shield. I am your great reward. Look what he says. I will bless you. The word bless, barak in Hebrew, means I will pour out my favor on you. It's the same word used when God said to his creation, be blessed, be multiplied, and fruit, fruit be fruitful and multiply. It's God's hand, his Smile, if you will. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to always say before he preached that he would pray that the smile of God would be upon him as he got up in the pulpit. And so Abram hears that God will do this. God will do this. God will do this. And it's for us, folks. This is an application for us all. If the Lord calls you to something and that thing is hard, he wants you to step out, do something that you're not comfortable doing because you're used to a certain routine or whatever it may be, guess what? He will be with you. That's the promise. That's the certainty. The question is, will we receive it? And that's where faith comes in. The first aspect of invitation is that of trust. Do we trust God at his word? Do we trust God at his word? He says, I will do this. I will do that. Next week, we'll look at the second point, which is receptivity. Being receptive to what God calls us to. Being open, being willing. And that's what we'll see next week in Abraham. So let me give you a couple points of application this morning, and then we're going to do Lord's Supper here in a minute. First of all, number one, there is an invitation to us all. We are all called to be a part of the mission of God. I've heard it said years ago, and I've never forgot this. Find out what God is doing and join him there. Folks, God is working. I know a lot of Christians are like, man, things are really hard right now. Society is crumbling. Our moral foundation is deeply flawed and cracked. Yes, yes, and yes. But so was Abraham's. <laughs> Maybe even more in some ways. And God is still working and moving. He's still calling. He's still doing a great work. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The same God that split the Red Sea so the Israelites could walk across. Millions of them could walk across on dry land. 
He's still working, folks. His invitation has been sent out. The question is, will we receive it? Isaiah said, and this is what I pray, and this is what you should pray. Isaiah simply said to God's invitation, he said, here am I, Lord, send me. Now, will God send you somewhere far off to a difficult place? I don't know. I'm not saying he will. Remember the old, you've heard a story. Maybe someone said, dear Lord, I want to serve you, but please don't send me to Africa. <laughs> please don't send me here. No, we need to say, Lord, here am I, send me. Now, that may mean you go to your next door neighbor with homemade cookies because you know that they're, they're going through cancer or they're going through a divorce or they're having a difficult time with something. And you go and you say, uh, listen, I just want to be a blessing. Here you go. And you just surf. You just sit and listen to them. It may mean calling up someone that you haven't talked to in a long time because you had a falling out with that person. And when you think about that person, you're like, ah, oh, it's the last person I want to talk to. Could be someone in your family, extended family perhaps, or an old friend that you had a falling out with. It's being willing to go, to take steps, to get out of your comfort zone. For some who are battling depression and severe anxiety, it's the willingness to get up out of bed every single day. One of the most revolutionary things we can do is put one foot in front of the other and just get up because God has given you one more day. Depression can be debilitating. Anxiety can be very, very difficult. But you know what? Take that step and say, you know what? I'm going to get up. Take that step. I'm going to face it. Get out of that bubble. It may mean making some changes to your lifestyle. Eating healthier, exercising, doing the things you need to do. It may mean being more disciplined in your walk with God because God wants us to experience him. He wants a relationship with him. Jesus said, come and follow me. It was a relational call. A Talmud, which is the Hebrew word for disciple, meant that they would follow their master no matter what. And they were always with him because it was a relationship. They felt the pull and they knew the invitation was there. And we sometimes get stuck in our little bubbles and we say, you know what? I just don't feel like, I just don't feel like praying right now or, or reading my Bible or taking a walk and, and trying to just seek the Lord and and." And hear his heart for my life. And so we get stuck. So the first application is, the invitation is out for us all. To be part of his mission. Which is to do what he's called you to do. Whatever that may mean. Whether small, big, or in between. Number two, God's invitation means that we have to move. It goes along with the first point. Again, faith is not passive. Faith is the, the act of stepping out. It's the, it's the idea of being sure and certain. It's like when you go to sit down in a chair, you know that chair is going to hold you, right? You're certain of that. If you didn't, you would always be looking at the chair, checking the chair out. Oh, is this going to hold me up? No, we have the faith. We put our surety in that to hold us up. That's the idea of faith. And so look at Hebrews chapter 11 for a minute. We're going to go back here next week. The author of, the, of Hebrews really brings this out. 
he uses this phrase. It's one word in Greek, but it says this phrase, by faith. Pistai is the word that's used in Greek. Pistis is the word for faith. It means the conviction of truth, the idea of relying upon or having sureness or certainty. So Hebrews chapter 11. Let me turn there so I can read it. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he, that is Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We'll talk about that next week, that Abraham understood his calling to be more of an eternal idea. That is, God was calling him to a city with foundations. Remember, they were nomads. They were sojourners. And the calling was ultimately eternal in perspective. But let me now conclude in the message this morning with this final application. Perhaps some of you are stuck right now. I imagine that you might be. I've been stuck many, many times in a bubble in the boat, stuck in pain, stuck in fear, stuck in uncertainty, stuck in disillusionment. And God wants to pop that bubble, folks, and reveal himself to you in such a powerful way and to extend that invitation to you as a calling to you to join him in his work and allow him to do the work that he wants to do in you, that sanctifying work that God wants to do in us. Many of us feel stuck because we're unwilling to let go of the comfort or the security of our routines or of our lives. Pastor Mark Job in Chicago says most of us feel stuck because we are unwilling to let go of something because we're afraid. If I let go of this, what will happen? Abraham had to let go of everything and to go where God had called him to go. Jesus said to his disciples before they were even Talmudim, before they were his, he said, come and follow me. And they left their nets. They left their dad. They left everything, all the security they, they, they had known, their jobs, their family structures. They left it and they followed him. God's invitation is to let go and be open to him. Be open to him popping our bubbles and saying, you're a little bit too snug here. You're a little bit too comfortable here. You're holding on too tightly to this. Will you be as Isaiah? Lord, here am I. Send me. Lord, here am I. Do what you want to do. I'm willing. And that's my challenge to you all this morning. Next week, we'll look at receptivity and Abraham's further call. Let's continue to, to uh, praise the Lord this morning and for what he's done. And we'll pray here this morning now, and then we'll prepare for the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we're grateful for the work of the gospel, for the work of Jesus, because Jesus, you have extended that call to us. We'll talk about this next week for Mission Sunday, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples as you are going do this. 
Lord, help us to be willing, each and every person in here to say, Lord, I'm willing to get out of my comfort zone. I'm willing to step out of the boat to walk on that dark water if need to be, whether that's a relational step or that's a, a job or that's a, a ministry or a person, that willingness to pick up the phone, that willingness to cross the street, that willingness to go on a mission trip or that willingness to do this or that, whatever it may mean, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who allow you to pop our bubbles. As we search our heart now, as we take the Lord's Supper, reveal to us areas in our lives that we're too snug in or that we're hold, holding on too tightly. Lord, convict us of that. Holy Spirit, show us what you want to show us today as we remember what you have done, Lord Jesus, when you said, do this in remembrance of me. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.